0: Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode.
1: Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with my guest and narrator, P.J. Oakland. Thank you for being part of the Audiobook Lovin' series this year, P.J.,
2: I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Viviana.
1: Oh, of course. I have my wish list and I'm going, ooh, I'm going
2: to have PJ this year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been narrating and how you got started?
2: No boy. Um, well, how <laughs> I got started at narrating is uh, it was an offshoot of um, my acting career that was already going on. I've been acting for uh, professionally for what's coming up on uh actually not coming up on just past 36 years uh as a professional actor because i started really young i was a kid actor and um did you know a lot of uh, uh tv and you know some movies and stuff and stage and that was a uh, you know my life for for decades and then i was doing a a shakespeare production in los angeles and uh which is where i live now and this is uh, many many years ago and one of my castmates uh, was into audiobooks and we had talked about it and I had always wanted to get into audiobooks and, uh, and she said, yeah, you'd be really good at it. And then these uh, producers um, who were kind of legendary in the business uh, at the time and still, uh, Bob and Deborah Dion of Dion Audio in LA, an independent production company, but probably the biggest of every independent producer of audiobooks in the industry. Uh, they would always go to... Uh, theater in LA to find audiobook narrators because this was before everyone wanted to be an audiobook narrator so they produced so much stuff and they'd like you know kind of stalk people at the stage door after performances and you know go up to actors and say hey you'd be really good at audiobooks you know uh, you should come audition for us and people would freak out like get away from me what's what's wrong with you people um, so it was uh, it was kind of funny but that was their mo and uh, they came to see our production so my friend in the cast uh, Abby she introduced me to them, and then I went and auditioned for them, and I guess you could say the rest is history. That was uh, wow, uh, many years and more than five hundred books ago. So yeah. there you go, it's the biggest yeah. part of my acting career now.
1: <laughs> well, you've done uh, you know TV, screen, film, theater, radio, in and, um, and now obviously voiceover. What do you find that's the difference between acting on stage and acting when you're doing an audiobook?
2: Wow. Um, well, there's. I mean, the the main similarities to start there, because there's so much that's different, but the main similarities with any sort of performance is you want to go there. You want to be vulnerable and honest and authentic and actually go to those emotional places uh, that the role calls for. Um, In terms of what's especially different, not just in VO, but specifically audiobooks, audiobooks are a completely different beast. You still have to go there, as I was saying. that that part is the constant, no matter what. you know the the art form, the craft. you want to be honest and connected and so on. But um, with an audiobook, you're playing the entire cast. and then in addition to playing the entire cast, There's all that narrative, which often makes up the majority of a book. What do you do with all of that? Uh, If it's first person, you know, you are that character and you need to be that character convincingly for the duration of the book. Uh, If it's third person limited, uh, I kind of treat that the same way I treat first person in a sense, not necessarily with the same character voice, but. The author's intent is that everything is filtered through the POV of that character. So emotionally, it can all be infused the same way. And then you get into like some interesting other areas, like maybe a really academic nonfiction book or third person omniscient, where there's a lot of head jumping and connecting with that, how to do that effectively. So that's probably the biggest difference of all is that with a film, you know, you've got this intimate close up, let's say, and the slightest. Eye movement, uh, the slightest gesture, the tiniest thing can convey so much, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in audio, that doesn't happen. So uh, there's a lot of ways of, you know, kind of adapting through using your technical skills, uh, the performance that hopefully helps convey a lot of that emotional connectivity, um, but ultimately. No matter what you master in the skills, I always say that stuff's meant to enhance the performance, the technical left brain stuff. But all the magic happens when you can apply that and then really lose yourself, transition back into the right brain and just be connected and present and real and honest in the moment and with the characters. And, and that's it.
1: I always find it interesting because, you know, in the the books it's, and he screams. And obviously, as you're reading this, you're going, please don't scream in my ear. <laughs>
2: But such a great example of like those technical skills i was just talking about like there is a way of conveying of several different ways of conveying that the character has screamed without you know blasting into your mic and you know peeking and redlining your record levels and all that you know so that's a skill you learn that like i said enhances the performance but the way i often because i teach this stuff too you know i do Coaching in the business, and I often say, like those technical things are meant to enhance the performance, but can never dictate the performance. If you suddenly make it all about the accents you can do, or the character voices you can do, or the little techniques you've learned, then you're not—you're kind of in your head. You're not really there in the moment with the uh, with the material. So you don't want to lose that connectivity.
1: Yeah, I mean, we could. There's always kind of saying there's different types of narration. And depending on who the narrator is, you kind of like know what you're getting into. There's mm-hmm. one, for an example, that I know that as soon as I pick up that book and he's the narrator, I'm going to be read. He's just going to do a couple of voices that are a little slightly different, but he's just reading to me. And gotcha. then if I pick someone else's uh, a book and it's someone else's narrating, I'm going, "Ooh, it's going to be like a play." Right, right. exactly. <laughs> everything is so active and alive and dreaming, but also not so overdone that I'm going, "Dude, I can't focus on my Excel, Excel spreadsheets while you're doing that." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: As you're multitasking, you've completely yes. lost, uh, lost the book. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. because That's something that comes up a lot too. I'd say there's no one right way to narrate because if it is, you know, it's a craft, there's going to be a lot of approaches and I'm not a big fan of dogma anyway. So there's no one right way per se, but there is that sort of, you know, base requirement, that one main job requirement, which is connectivity to the material. And mm-hmm. um it's funny, you mentioned like the reading thing. And uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll expand on that idea and, that I was just, uh, the point I was just making and say like, there's a lot of concern about the advent of AI coming into the voiceover work, right? Yep. And I say like, that's where our job security is in don't be just a reader. Like the more connected you are to the material, the more, you know, human choices and emotional connectivity you have that you make and infuse that performance with, uh, the more job security you have because uh, AI is going to get really good in a really short amount of time, but it'll never have a soul. You know, it, it'll never be able to fully do. It's it's what I always say, like, what does the A stand for? It's artificial. So you, you be authentic and uh, and you'll be fine.
1: Yeah, I know it's definitely
2: a—it's
1: a, a hot topic, <laughs> but uh, it's just one of those things where there's something about the human voice that, when it's done right, and you're conveying those um, emotions, it comes through the—you you, know—your mic into my earbuds, right? Mm-hmm. And there's just something about that connectivity, like you said, to the material, and then I, as a listener, listening to that. I mean, I'm not a crier at all when I read books. The first time I did it, the author was like, holy shit, you cried? And I'm going, yeah, and it's your fault, damn it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I never cry. I've never been like, same thing like at concerts. I'm not that girl that cries, right? Uh But I found myself that when I listen to audiobooks, because I'm hearing there's something in your voice, whether there's a bit of a tremor or there's a little this, or even the excitement, like the fun stuff, you're going, oh, yes, one for the team. There's that emotion is something that you know, the listeners love and crave. And I think, yeah. And that's something that AI is never going to do.
2: Yeah, no, but that's exactly the point. You're hitting the nail on the head, you know? And that's why if that emotional connectivity isn't authentic, if it's not honest, if the narrator isn't really going there, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like my my three word philosophy for all of that, that I often teach and talk about. And I think it applies to anything creative is commit, don't comment. And it's got a Mm -hmm. lot of, a lot of different meanings, um, but in terms of like the, the most obvious one is, you know, commentary when we talk about acting 101 is when you're sort of breaking that fourth wall in a sense, or when you're not, you're not really going there and you're sort of commenting on the scene from outside as opposed to really being in it. That's the biggest contrast. I mean, you know, it's that uh, you've got to really go there. You've got to be in it. Um, we don't want the narrator telling us about it. You know, we want the narrator feeling it, like really honestly feeling it. And when those emotions are real, when you really go there, um, that's the thing that's always going to make that emotional connectivity with the listener. The more connected we are, the more connected you're going to be. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty amazing how it happens. And I think that applies to almost anything creative. You know, when you really commit to it, you get into it um, and you're not outside. You know, you can apply that to so many different genres too. I mean, think about Like romance, for example, you know, there's going to be sex scenes, there's going to be explicit content. If you're doing a sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge from outside of it to the listener saying like, hey, this is like, you know, like you're going to giggle about it, if you will, because you're uncomfortable with it. That's a perfect example of commentary. You're not really going there. But if you you allow yourself to be you know, uh, transported and, uh, and, you know, play scenes exactly as you'd play them on camera or on stage in terms of that full emotional commitment that's transported for the listener too.
1: And I think that that's even, especially when romance, which also always gets such a bad rap and when mm-hmm. it comes down to all the different genres is because of the, you know, the sex in it and, or the emotional as well, you know, the, the relationships and stuff like that. And it's always a question that always kind of comes up. It's like when you guys were reading these more steamy scenes, um, how, you know, how do you not giggle? Are you at the point now where you don't no longer turn red? Did you ever turn red? I mean, you're a professional yeah, never, though, so I doubt it.
2: <laughs> I never did. And, and it's exactly, it's that point. You know, it's, it's exactly that same point where I never did. And, and yeah, I mean, I had a background as an actor already. So this has been my entire life, but no, it would never occur to me. It would never even occur to me to not fully commit to those situations, and I mean, can they be, you know, can they be extreme? Yeah, I mean, I don't do, I don't really do uh, erotica or anything crazy, but I've I've definitely had my share of extremely graphic scenes. Even, I mean, romance and erotica. There's always a lot of debate on what's the difference between the two, um, and maybe it's. Uh, well, a lot of people talk about like the endings and you know how it all goes in terms of uh, you know whether it's that the happy you know they end up together sort of thing or the qu- the quantity of uh, yep. of scenes or the uh, how graphic they are so on. So there's a lot of different talk about what the difference between the two actually is. But anyway, for me, I mean, I've done some uh, some mainstream romance and sometimes scenes are very very graphic. You know, probably of my 500-something books, maybe a few dozen romance, I guess, at this point. I haven't counted. but um, So it's not a a major, major part of all the work I do, but certainly significant enough that I'm probably doing a few per year here and there. And, um, yeah, it it would never occur to me to not fully commit to those scenes or or giggle, for that matter. You know, there's nothing about it that I find, you know, it's not – I guess it's – I I personally am not uncomfortable going – anywhere you know emotionally the question is ultimately i mean whether the listeners like it or the fans like it you know critiques and so on that's a completely different story but at least for me i can sleep at night because i know i went there right i i committed i got into the scene to the best of my ability and there was no commentary going on i wasn't outside of it commenting on it or feeling weird about it um so that's a a, a, i think a good example of it um maybe when you hear that other feedback you know if you've got uh, certain narrators who maybe don't come from an acting background and got into audiobook narration maybe it takes longer i mean that's a uh, a lot more effort you know to go that far with things like that especially if it's something graphic that makes them a little bit uncomfortable that's perhaps uh, harder than than doing a you know a more straightforward you know a scene between a couple of characters that doesn't involve graphic content maybe uh it's easier for them and it's uh it's less of a leap, you could say,
1: yeah, well there's also a lot of um details and descriptions and stuff like that in emotions, but I can even imagine an emotional scene, whether it's well, when you know someone kills off a dog, which is like a big no no. <laughs> Um, or, you know, there's a fight or something between the characters and this isn't inclusive of all genres or when there's something emotional, it's very taxing on you guys as the narrators because you're getting emotionally invested in that moment. Totally. Yeah. How do you disconnect from that once you're done
2: in the booth? That's a great question. Um, it, it's, I guess like anything else, you know, um, I don't, I don't think we're, uh, some sort of. Super special breed, you know, different from uh, from anybody else out there. You know, when you have have work that's difficult, you know, there's going to be hard days. How you turn it off is, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people have to go through that. For us, maybe the the key difference is when you're dealing with especially emotional work, as opposed to a really physically taxing day, let's say for, you know, a builder or someone on an assembly line, you know, there's different things you have to disconnect from so you can get on with the rest of your life, you know, and leave work uh, at work. The emotional stuff. Yeah. It can be taxing in a different kind of way. If you've been sort of weeping in the booth for a few hours you can't expect to come out and say, all right, great. What's for lunch? You know, it takes a, (laughs) it takes a little bit of a, of a come down and you've got to deal with that, but that's the life of an actor. And I, I, again, to go back to, not to be a broken record, but to go back to that idea of actually going there, that's another major difference. You don't, you don't pretend to be devastated. You don't pretend to be a basket case or, you know, a complete wreck. You, you go there and you experience it. And then, you sort of like you, you exercise it and it's done. It's gone. Like you you experience those emotions, you went through it. It can be really cathartic. Um, and when it's over, you you come out of that and say, all right, I, you might need a few minutes to get back to reality, but it's hard, you know, And keep in mind, that's not every day in the booth. You know, there's a lot of different uh, different emotions we go through. Many of them can be challenging. But the ones that are probably the biggest, you know, most devastating days are when you are going through that, like it was the funeral scene or it's that tragic love story. I mean, there's one book I did. I will never forget. Um, it was a book for Blackstone called uh, A Thousand Boy Kisses by, uh, uh, by Tilly Cole. Um, and this was many, many years ago. And it had a lot of technical challenges. It, it's a YA romance. And my character is a first person Norwegian kid with an accent. So I'm doing the entire book in a Norwegian accent. And uh, so that already brings, you know, a, a certain mm-hmm. extra level of, you know, technical stuff to uh, to pay attention to. But uh, like I often teach, you know, with anything like that, you've got to master that to the best of your ability in the left brain and then completely forget about it because there's no way you can be completely emotionally connected if you're in your head about, you know, is the accent good? Am I getting those sound changes right? Is the placement right? Blah, blah, blah. so So that's number one. But now we get to the fact that it is probably one of the most popular tearjerkers ever written. I mean, this book is devastating. You know, you look at the reviews on this book, um, you know, there's whatever, like a a thousand something out there. And everyone just says, I have never ugly cried so much at a book. It is just devastating. But here's the deal. While I was recording it, it was the same thing for me. I was and in the appropriate places in other words I'm weeping if you will I'm sobbing I'm a basket case when my character is a basket basket case so like you let that stuff overcome you you don't want the audio to be unintelligible because you're sniffling and weeping through everything obviously so that's another technical consideration but the point once again is that you're vulnerable you know you really really experience that so those were challenging days you know I come out of the booth and you're a wreck for a while you know I'll never forget that um, and it takes a little bit of an adjustment period like if in real life everyone's had the experience of you you know you go to a funeral and you know you're having that awful awful time of it all dealing with your grief and that stays with you so turning it off is not as simple as just flipping a switch but like I say, I mean, that's our job. We have to feel stuff. And the more authentically we feel it, I think the better the performances are.
1: No, absolutely. Totally. I mean, we can we sometimes say, oh yeah, they phoned it in. <laughs> right. We can, yeah. And it's like, eh, it's okay. That's he phoned it in there.
2: Shame. <laughs> yeah. and that's and, and that's, you know, it doesn't mean the narrator didn't, you know, try their best. I don't think anyone sets out to phone anything in, but sometimes the connection, you know, doesn't happen. I think we're all totally guilty of that. For me, I'll tell you, Viviana. the The hardest ones for me are often when it's like this really academic nonfiction. You know, when you're trying to not let it become like the driest textbook ever, <laughs> but it can it can be really hard. Sometimes it's in the writing; like it's not written, and you feel like, wow, this book wasn't written to be said out loud. You know, there's just nothing that gives you the opportunity to make it conversational or there's you just don't get a sense of the author's feeling you know what they've you know what their thoughts and opinions are and feelings that you can latch on to and bring feeling to it so it just comes across as really really dry and i think we're all at some point or another guilty of that you know there's choices to be made with every acting job and the extra pressure too. going back to your question about how it's different from other things if i'm doing a film right like for example, I've got this, this, this movie I shot um, uh, very early on in the pandemic, and I've got a a major supporting role in it. And it's funny, because a major supporting role in a feature film means your screen time is probably like, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably like on screen, maybe between 20 and 30 minutes out of like a 90 minute movie, right? Which is a lot for a film. But if I'm doing an audiobook and it's a 12 hour long audiobook and I'm the solo narrator, number one, I didn't get a month or two of rehearsal or all this prep time and the cast table read and all that and all this preparation time. Number two, I'm not playing one character that I can spend all of my preparation time figuring out who this guy is and backstory and motivations and all that stuff. I'm playing literally every single character in the cast. And number three, Rather than what ultimately turns into 20 minutes of screen time that we're filming uh, over you know, several weeks is 12 hours of performance time that I'm recording over one week. And that difference, it's like, yeah, there's going to be moments that are missed choices that you probably could have made a better choice here or there or, you know, not not connecting in the way you'd love to but that's one of the biggest differences of all is when you just consider the workload and the exposure on the narrator, it's just you for the entire book and you're playing the whole cast and not just one character. That's a big difference too.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's such as the variety too. The, uh, you know, the authors are bringing these little nuances to these characters that you also have to figure out. And hopefully they let you know ahead of time and not in, you know, you figure out in chapter 13, of, what is it, Seven or eight that, oh, yeah, who has a Russian accent? Lovely. Right.
2: <laughs> that's why you got to prep. you got to do your prep because that that's not cool. You know, you, yeah.
1: You have to oh, he talking with a lisp. Okay.
2: Right. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm going back and redoing five chapters worth of dialogue now. <laughs> yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that prep time, that prep is very important. Have you found that after so many books and as well as your experience as an actor that your prep is a little different or is it different from some of your peers, you think? Or.
2: Oh, yeah, for for sure. everybody's got their different systems. I think a pre-read is is really, really essential. You've got to be informed. You've got to be able to. Make choices from page one that are informed from like the final page. It doesn't mean you're going to telegraph anything. That's not the point. It's just as the actor, you've got to know you've got to like, what's the arc of the book? What's the arc of the chapter? What's the arc of, you know, the paragraph? What's the arc of the sentence? You know, knowing that where are these characters starting? Where do they get to? Where do they end up? Uh, all of those things, I think, you know, are are pretty essential for good, solid prep. Sometimes we're in situations where you're really under the gun. The p- publisher's like, "I need your help. This is a crazy hot rush. You've got to start recording tomorrow. Can you drop everything and do this book?" And uh, when those types of things happen, there's only so much prep you can do. There's only so many choices you can make. And if you learn things along the way that you realize, like, if you haven't done a really good, thorough pre-read, when that you know circumstances prevent it. And you find out that so-and-so has an accent and you didn't do it, that's going to result in some pickups or you have to, you know, sort it out, deal with that. I usually try to, we've got some tricks where, you, you know, you can search a script for certain keywords and things like that, at the very least, to prevent major pitfalls like that. You know, so you don't end up with 500 pickups because you need to change dialogue in its entirety for a particular character. You never want to end up in that situation. So there's things like that, but other other ways it's changed my prep over the years is um, I I trust my instincts a lot more. So from that pre-read, I might not be uh, making as many annotations. I probably am not, uh, you know, writing down as many things in the PDF of the script of like, okay, you know, do this here, do that there. I trust my instincts. Once I've got that big picture perspective on the book, I know that I'll be able to ride the wave of it all as I'm recording really well, because I'll, I'll remember what I need to remember and the rest I, I allow to happen kind of spontaneously and I trust it. Um, but there's still things like when I'm recommending to not only newbies, but season narrators alike, there's still things I'll do. Like if I'm going to be in a, in directed sessions, you know, with a director, knowing that I'm not going to be able to take as much time to maybe look something up or whatever. I'm doing that stuff in advance. um, So I don't, you know, weigh down and slow down the the recording process. If there's, I know a million characters in this book, the first time they speak, I'll put a little, you know, annotation in the script, you know, with their name. And then as I learn more about them, as I'm pre-reading the book, I'll add to it. You know, I'll find out that, oh, they always smile really, really positive. She's very happy-go-lucky. Um, and uh and then I find out she's a real badass. Like someone talks about what a badass. Okay, put that in. All of these things. So then when I'm in the studio, or whether it's my home studio more than 90% of the time, or I'm working with a director in studio or something, I'll have those notes and it turns into basically a breakdown for that character the first time they speak in my script. So I'm building that sort of, you know, backstory and all the choices that'll go into her particular voice, her character. Uh, it's informed by everything the book told me. So I don't accidentally do something that, you know, maybe she's got this really tough, raspy quality to her voice. And I didn't know that, or I didn't make a, a note of it. And then I, uh, I give her more of a fluty quality to her voice, something that's like the opposite end of the spectrum and realize, crap, that gets contradicted by the book. That's not an okay choice. So uh, things like that, you know, you'll still do. It just depends on the circumstances.
1: Cool. Now I know that the other thing too, sometimes is some of these series, these books have our series and they have not just one or two or three books in the series, but like seven, 10, 15, 20. And that first character that just pops in the room for a second to say, Hey, dinner's ready. Now is the lead character right. in book
2: 14. And you're going,
1: I gave that one voice. Ooh, okay. It,
2: all the time. <laughs> it just, it just happened to me. In fact, it's crazy. We, uh, uh, we, we do, I, I do a lot of different series for a bunch of different so sometimes my schedule is filled up, you know, with almost entirely these uh, these sequels and these continuations of series. Uh, it feels like that anyway. But there was one that um, uh, Justine Eyre, who's awesome. Uh, she and I were doing this romance series for a publisher, and I think it was, I think it was five books, and we did them all pretty much back to back to back because they were backlist titles. They weren't brand new when we recorded them. The publisher uh, got the rights and said, "Hey, we want to you know turn this series into audio." And this was years ago like quite a few years ago, in fact, if memory serves. And it was just a couple of months ago that the publisher says, hey, we have two new installments in that series. Do you guys remember that? So then Justine and I went through this like back and forth, you know, pulling up old emails and our notes and everything. And I stay pretty organized with that stuff. I try to keep, you know, keep everything. I keep old recording sessions and, you know, archive them. So I go back and I was like pulling sound clips from all these different characters. And of course, wouldn't you know, it's one of those series where there's like, you know, the the, the female pack and there's like nine women and then the guys, there's like nine guys and they all feature kind of prominently and they need to be distinct from each other because they're constantly in the same scenes with each other. So digging all that back up and going through it, it was crazy. And then to your point about how that insignificant character becomes a lead, one of these two new books was an anthology in a sense. It's these three short stories collected into one full length novel where uh, the author gave, instead of the two leads we've been with in the first person for the entire series, uh, gave these ancillary characters their own first person short stories. So it's like, oh, that character that we met in like book three is now back with their own, you know. 150 page short story that, that's in first person with a totally new love interest and what have you. So that was, uh, that was quite the challenge, but yeah, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: I love Justine. She's awesome.
2: She's great. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you had to choose between acting on stage, film and TV and voiceover, like audiobooks, which one would you
2: choose? Oh boy. Come on. That's like, <laughs> you know, I said, pick one of your puppies, man. Um,
1: uh, At least I didn't ask you which is your favorite book to narrate. <laughs> <laughs> you no,
2: know, it's so hard. I, I. Here's the deal. I will be eternally grateful for the audiobook work I have, the audiobook world and community in general, because after. Hoofing it as an actor with stage and film and TV for decades, uh, even before I got into audiobooks and now, you know, more than a decade in audiobooks and all the work I've done. Somebody asked me that one of the uh, earlier times I was speaking publicly about audiobooks, like, what do audiobooks mean to you? And it was kind of like, wow, I, I hadn't thought about it. And my my answer was, you know, spur of the moment. But what's interesting is I've repeated that answer now many, 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 many times in all these years since. Um, What I realized is, yes, I I love the, the work, but with all that acting work I had done prior, I had a lot of sort of what you'd call big breaks, you know, submitted for Academy Award nomination for this film and, you know, submitted for Emmy nomination for a couple of different TV series. And I was on Broadway and like major things where you think you think, oh, I'm set now. That's it. That's my, my career is set. Like I'm going to get offers and, you know, I'll, I'll be able to fill up my schedule. And this is the road to, you know, the that security and independence as an actor where I'm just set. And that never happened. You know, the, the hype dies down after a little bit and you're back to hoofing it looking for the next gig. So they never turned into the quote unquote classic big break where you're a household name and you just have as much work as you ever want. So that was what I, I, I kind of said spontaneously is I said, well, it wasn't until audiobooks that I get to be a working actor, you know, under a, a SAG contract, a union contract, a working actor whenever I want to be, like as often as, often as I want to be. If I want to record every day, the work is there for that uh, for me. So I've got to be, and I am eternally grateful for that. The idea that I can be a working actor every day that I want to be, thanks to audiobooks, is such a big deal and so incredibly rare and unheard of in the world of acting. So that um, has, has got to be you know, the most important, meaningful thing that I can you know, work so much in my career because of audiobooks. My favorite thing, though, to answer your question, I gave that as a preface because audiobooks are a love of mine for so many reasons, but film uh, is it, it just been in my heart and soul since I was a kid. And just when I'm on a, I'm on a film set and I'm spending all that time with one character and the experience of, uh, of shooting and bringing some, something like that to fruition, I think that's still my love. Um, probably of all of them, if I really, really, really had to pick, I'd probably put film at the top. Uh, stage is another amazing experience, and sometimes I go back to it just to almost prove to myself to slay the dragon, to prove to myself that I can still do it and uh, and handle it incredibly challenging. And then, like I say, for the uh, for the community and for the regularity of the work, uh, I adore VO.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think this, there is obvious differences, but there's also it's very lonely doing audiobooks.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> isolation, like it's to the extreme. It's yeah. you in a box by yourself. And remember the duration we talked about earlier, the fact that it's, you know, you're doing the entire book and you're working on this one project alone for a week or longer. I've done, you know, a number of books that are more than 30 hours long. And you're with that book for a really, really, really long time all by yourself. And while I believe in a, a certain reciprocal energy thing like we infuse the work with energy and then when the listener ultimately hears the finished product there's like sort of a a universal energy that comes back to us you know and 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 they feel the energy we put into it you know we we infuse it with that energy and the performance that care that attention and and that connectivity we talked about earlier and 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 that translates to the listener in the same way it would with a viewer of a film or uh, a TV show or something later on when, it's, uh, when it comes out. But um, it's, it's very different when you don't have a single audience member. You don't even have a director you know, behind the camera. You don't have an audience sitting out there watching you on stage. You don't necessarily have an engineer on the other side of the glass in your booth. You don't have that first listener sitting there with you. We need to kind of manifest that and create that. So we're sharing the story with this one person, you know, in our minds as a bit of a technique. But the reality is they're not physically there. So it is very lonely work. And without any kind of reciprocal energy in real time, it's super, super hard.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that you said that about the energy that you guys are putting in and that we get when we're listening to that. It's true. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's almost like you do project work. You know, for those of us that are not in the booth, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I'm fine with doing, <laughs> if I don't have to do project work. I'm fine with it. But being able to go to someone and say, hey, did I, is this the right shade of pink? <laughs> Getting that feedback is so important to me. And uh, I know that you guys don't have that in the booth. It's crazy. Yeah. You know,
2: especially when we talk about that vulnerability, I mean, you're putting yourself out there, you know, when you're really, really emotionally connected to a book, you're naked. You know, it's just full on vulnerability. You're putting all this out there, and then there's that other side of it of like, wow, I just revealed every part of myself I'm capable of revealing through this audio, and you have no idea how that's going to be received. You know, some things really work, and some things really don't. But uh, you know, if it doesn't work, um, and fortunately, I don't, I don't think that really happens often. I mean, you know, you're always going to get your detractors, but if you're putting your heart and soul into your work. All in all, I mean, I think it's for the most part going to be received well. But as we know, any creator, you could have the greatest playwright in the world, you know, writes a play and it just bombs on opening and closes after two days on Broadway. These things still happen. It's a real thing. A visual artist, you know, comes out with their latest painting or something and they do the gallery show and it doesn't sell because everyone hates it. You know, that's just that's the life of of people who create. And uh And it's not limited to, you know, performance, as I say, visual artists. You can be an architect and, uh, you know, you come up with the beautiful new building. I remember this would happen in L.A. I live in L.A. And, uh, you know, when Frank Gehry did uh, Walt Disney Concert Hall, you know, Mm. one of the most stunning buildings on the planet. But it had its detractors when they opened the new cathedral, uh, the Cathedral of Our Lady of uh, the Angels in downtown Los Angeles. It's like the Archdiocese of L.A. Um, I personally don't like it. I mean, I, I, and, and tons of people don't, you know, a lot of people are like, it looks like a prison. That's not a cathedral, you know, but the point is that, you know, there are creators behind everything and they didn't set out to make it ugly or something that would be perceived as ugly. They don't go out there trying to do something that's, you know, not going to be received. Well, people take chances and they, and they, uh, they try things out in creative work and some of it works and some of it doesn't, but you know,
1: it it's different. Yeah. And maybe that architect was the same architect that did Disney's Team Disney building over here, um, also known as Mouse <laughs> Oh, oh <okay>. Mouse
2: <laughs> That's a great name, though. <demo. Yeah>. So, <laughs> uh, for me, is that if it hadn't happened, no one ever would have coined the term Mousketras. And isn't the world a better place now that you get to say Mousketras? I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, and then now it's it's gotten better because we've actually put some color to it. But originally the design was everything was gray. And wow. if you went into the middle of the building and you looked up the Force Four, it's you almost felt like you were like in an Elvis prison movie where all wow. the levels like that. And I'm yeah. going, oh, that's <laughs> what they mean by OK, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's things like, you know, something just misses, and there you go.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure he's thinking, this is going to be so
2: sleek. (laughs) Right. Ultra contemporary, industrial, really edgy. Yeah,
1: Yeah. non, you know, non distractive. People can, you know, the creativeness of the work that they're doing is going to stand out.
2: Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: But yeah, being able to use Basketraz alone is worth it. (laughs) it
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest building nicknames ever.
1: Oh, awesome, um, you have like as you said mentioned over about five hundred Audible right now is giving me a, a slower number, but that's because it's Audible. Um, but with right. the, within the different genres of like art, entertainment, children's books, YA, you mentioned history and romance, and that's just a speed. I mean, you you run the gamut. Uh, is there a favorite uh, type? Totally. Yeah, I'm sorry.
2: No, I just saying totally. Uh, yeah, I uh, when you look at the I guess search results on Audible or whatever, um. It's sort of like evenly split over 20 something different genres. Yeah, I, I, I really do everything.
1: Yeah. So again, running the gamut. Um, is there a favorite type of character for you to portray that you have and why?
2: Hmm. Oh, what a good question. Type of character. Um, I don't know about a type of character uh, per se, but in terms of genres and the characters they often present, like all the characters as opposed to one I really love doing fantasy. In fact, my wife is a YA fantasy author um, and uh, she writes other stuff too, but her biggest series is a, a series called Of Cats and Dragons. And uh, and I narrate those. Those are all written in third person limited and uh, the, the POV changes through a few different key characters. Uh, the biggest lead of all is uh, is Omen. And uh He's um uh he's great. You know, he's he's a demigod and he's young, it's a YA thing, and uh he's always questioning, you know, getting into trouble with his parents as he goes off on these crazy adventures. Uh there's a ton of amazing characters that come up in the series. They've become not only are they sort of fan favorites, I mean, they've developed an incredible following. People really, really love these books. Uh, there's seven of them out now. We just released the seventh not that long ago. In, and then in addition to the seven main books, there's like other short stories out there and whatnot. But um, uh, they they are a blast to narrate. And I know the characters so well. Um, so I adore that. Uh, and, And just fantasy in general, you know, getting to play the different creatures and all the different ages, you know, you can have the village elder comes in, you know, alongside the hero, the different ages, the different levels of uh, of wisdom if you will and all the uh, the creatures and characters that come around that's that's a treat you know I, I i think i excel with that kind of thing it's one of my specialties so when i have that challenge in front of me it just makes the process a lot of fun uh and keeping everyone unique you know you're dealing with hundreds of characters over the course of uh, of the series um and what else like i guess i do a lot of thriller you know so like international spy thriller types of things and with those that's where my accent skills really uh, come into play a lot too. They do with fantasy also, uh, even the series I just mentioned. But, um, but with those kinds of things, you'll often have, you know, the Russian and the Greek and the Italian and the Romanian talking to each other all in the same scene. Keeping all that straight uh, is, uh, is pretty fun. And uh, I have a, a great time doing that kind of thing. Also, just with the level of action and the intensity of those types of books, uh, that's a blast. Um, even though I don't do them a ton, uh, romance is a lot of fun just because I love, I love the emotion of them. You know, um, you might have a kind of stoic male lead in some cases, but the narrative, you know, th- this is a fun thing. I don't talk about much, but it, I love the fact that with books, unlike with a movie, for example, all that narrative, you know, it's not, it's not just filler. It's the stuff where like, even if let's say this character is stoic on the outside, I'm also I'm often saying things like, well, during all that narrative, if it's written in first person or third person limited, he's not doing that overtly. You know, he's experiencing and feeling all these things on the inside. So even if he's like Mr. Tough Guy on the outside, you're getting that like whirlwind of emotion on the inside that gets revealed through that narrative. So even in those circumstances, you still get a lot to play with emotionally. And, uh, and those opportunities are really fun. You know, that's the acting of it all. So the more, the more you get to act and connect, um, those are, uh, those are usually the best.
1: Awesome. You just got like three of my other follow-up questions. I'm like, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be efficient, I guess.
1: No, it's great, but it's, uh, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Also part of the whole, like you've done the gamut of genres. Is there one genre that you have yet to narrate in that you want to?
2: I don't think there's a single genre that I haven't narrated in. Mm -hmm. There's some that I haven't done a ton of but I think I've covered just about everything um, as far as wanting to do more. Even though I don't sound like a 12 year old, um, I, I think I, I, I do good characterizations and I, I connect, you know, and uh, I love doing middle grade. So as much as I love YA too, those can be, it's interesting, you know. It's like convincing a publisher that you're right for a certain title, but I'll I'll get them, and I'll often. That's the funny thing is I'll often win awards for them too, like you know for YA and for middle grade things that people I might not be top of mind for, but I uh, I I just love them so much and some of those books are are such a treat like there's this middle grade book i did i think it was just last year that won an earphones award and then it got nominated for a voice arts award too it was called the simple art of flying and it's all first person um through three different characters one of them is a parrot um he's like the lead of the book and he's like in a pet store looking to get adopted the other is this 12 year old kid Um, who uh, is neurotic and anxious and winds up adopting one of the parrots. And then the other is this elderly lady. And uh, she writes, it's all in the first person. And all of her stuff is through this first person sort of like uh, diary entries and letters that she writes. So you're playing these three characters and it's such a good example of, you might not think of me right out of the gate as like, oh yeah, I get PJ to play an 11 year old for an entire book. But for a book like that, with what it calls for, for these three different first person POVs the parrot, the little boy, and the old lady it was just, I don't know, it, it was so perfect. And I love doing things like that, but the opportunities are few and far between. Um, but uh, and very emotional. That's another one where you will cry <laughs> during this book at various points. Um, but I just, uh, I, those are the ones that stick with me. Because, uh, you know, I just really connect and they're just special. So that's the kind of thing, I, I guess, if I had to say, I'd love to do more of.
1: That's great. I think sometimes you guys do get a little typecast.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: Even in audiobooks, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, he's the the this voice or he's the bad guy. And then, so they'll go, you do know his range is bigger than that,
2: right? Yeah. <laughs> which, is the, which is why I love the world, about
1: casting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Casting in general is like that. And now that I wear my producer hat, a lot of the time, you know, we're doing a a ton of books for for a number of major publishers. I'm doing the casting, you know, or I'm uh, at the very least, our company will facilitate the casting and that we're collecting the uh, auditions, which in some cases, the publisher will pass along to the author to make a decision depending on who's got the final say. And uh, in developing these audition packs and being involved, I'm guilty of it, too. I think anyone who's in casting knows what that's like. because You have an idea in your mind of who would be good at X. And it's and when you're dealing with so many people, too, there's just only so many minutes in the day. Right. So it's hard to keep track of. There's that person and their brand, when you think of their brand, like what they do, what they're known for, the emotional reaction you have to when their name comes up. Oh yeah, they do X. And it's hard sometimes to consider like, well, they also do Y and Z and D and H and all these other things. Um, that's uh, that's challenging. So I understand why it happens in casting, but from the actor's standpoint, it's always like, hey, why didn't you think of me for that? You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I think author nowadays are getting better also of like having the conversations with the the readers and the listeners and asking mm-hmm. us hey who are your favorites or who do you think needs more like it's such a good one but for whatever reason hasn't hit that one book that goes everyone's listening to at the moment and things like All that right. so it's good All when right. that happens my favorite is like oh i want sebastian york and i'm going i have a couple of voices that are in the realm of a sebastian york but it's not sebastian york because he's definitely <laughs> books for the next 15 years <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah, it's fun. Um, speaking of the voices and stuff like that, many people do not like the sound of their own voice, myself included. Are you one? I mean, do you listen to yourself in the in the books that you've narrated or anything uh, else that you've done? <laughs>
2: uh, no. Yeah, no, I, I, I it's very hard for me to listen to anything I've done because all I hear is how Incredibly awful it is, and I can't imagine anyone in their right mind would choose to listen to it, and all the things I would do differently. So, there you go 36 years as a professional actor, um, <laughs> lots of awards, and everything else. And I, you know, it's the classic actor. I, I don't even want to call it insecurity because I'm not a generally insecure person, it's not that, it's just the it's the lack of objectivity when it comes to your own stuff.
1: Yeah, we're yeah. hypocritical of ourselves
2: and yeah, you know, imposter syndrome. So, so impossibly subjective. I mean, to such a degree, you can't, you just don't have the wherewithal to be able to view it from the outside. Um, and uh, and that's all. So you, you hear the things you would have done differently. You hear like, oh, God, that just sounds so unnatural. And what was I thinking? But I think back to in the moment, I was really in it, you know, and that's the solace of the whole thing is I can say, no, no, no. I know that when I was doing it, I went there, whether that translates or not, you know, whether listeners love it, whether it does well with reviews, I don't know. And that's for everybody else to decide. But the stuff I have control over is, did I go there? Did I do the work? And, uh, and I think, in the vast majority of cases, at least that's why I said earlier, I can sleep at night. I know that's what I'm doing. I never, ever, ever phone anything in. I, you know, it's to the best of my ability. I show up. I try uh, as hard as I possibly can to do any project I'm assigned to uh, justice. Um, again, whether you succeed or not is in the eyes of the beholder, but, uh, but I, just, I, I take it really seriously to always try and do my best work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's always difficult. I'm going, Ooh, I could have said that different mirror. Oh, there's my little lisp or something like that. So, right. yeah, well, I, you know, thank you think you made me feel much better because if you're doing it for 36 years and you're still thinking that and I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I,
2: I feel like everybody kind of does. I mean, there are, there are some gods among us who, uh, are very willing to, to say, no, I'm awesome. And then they move on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the, the rest of us mere mortals, I think always struggle <laughs> with, uh, you know, am I, am I really doing my best stuff? And if you happen to listen to yourself or see yourself, that's the other thing. If I see myself on camera, you know, I, uh, I'm usually pretty willing to accept, you know, I did my best with it. And that's, you know, it seems like I was, I was very well connected. I remember what it was like to shoot it or to record it. And like, all right, that's, that's cool. You know, I did my thing, but it doesn't mean I want to watch it or listen to it.
1: Well, at least we're all in the same boat. Um, <laughs> speaking of being in front of the camera and audio, you have been a co-host of the Audis Awards Red Carpet Show with your fellow uh, co-narrator, uh, Suzanne Elise Freeman, for about a few years now, right? It's been a few with years? With a couple
2: of exceptions. There was yeah. um, most recently, that did something different this year. And, and uh, during the pandemic, we did a virtual one, which we yeah. shot at the house, which was really fun. Uh, <laughs> was. Yeah, so, yeah, there have been some variations here and there, but yeah.
1: Yeah, that was how was that whole experience? I mean, before pandemic and then after maybe it has, you know, how was that for you? Because it's kind of how also how I heard your name for the first time was the first time that you did one of those red carpets. I'm like, hey, who's Hi. that? <laughs> he yeah, sounds really we, good.
2: <laughs> um, let's see. It was uh, the first one we did live in New York um, and uh, and it was a blast. It went over really, really well. Everybody uh, had fun with it. We did that through the APA. And that's the audio publishers association for anybody who's uh, uh, listening that doesn't know about that. That's the, the organization that uh, a lot of us are part of uh, producers, publishers, narrators uh, throughout the industry. And that's the kind of like, um, you know, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences does the Oscars. Uh, the APA does the audience. They're the uh, presenting organization of the audience. And um, so so we did it in person a couple of times. We did the, uh, the virtual one. It was very, very different doing the virtual one because you don't have the people you're interviewing with you. So we had to get creative on, you know, recording the intros and outros. It wasn't live. So it was so bizarre. And I got to tell you, I mean, what a great example of the whole commit, don't comment concept because you're, it's a performance. I mean, you're pretending literally in the most ridiculous way that you're having a conversation with another person. And then it's going to get cut together later. So there were a lot of moments of like, you ask a question and that person's answer is going to be pre recorded on video and they'll insert it into the final show. And I got to say, I mean, we we got so much amazing feedback after that. Um, There was a huge technical glitch when it broadcast, when they aired it. (laughs) That one uh, like it, it wound up on a half hour delay because the whole system that they they had to air everything over youtube or something f- went down so it was a big disaster but then they they started it over from the beginning and the feedback we got was amazing and it cut together so well it was kind of it was funny and it was kind of charming and uh and all the bits and the cutaways all really came together it was uh it was kind of crazy how it worked out but Great. We had
1: fun. Yeah. yeah you guys but you guys also look like you're having fun you know, sometimes yeah, we can. We you know, the body language is really like
2: you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> totally. no, we, we were, uh, yeah, and we yeah. And we uh, we presented at the uh, Audis uh, a couple of years as well, and also did the voices of the, um, you know, like uh, when the the nominees are announced, and yes. then they like the video and like. The an announcer does the uh, does the nominees. So we did that uh, one year for the audience. Also, there's always been like some some level of involvement because of the uh an industry webcast uh, that we uh, co-hosted that was done by the APA. So it was a lot of tie-in with that whole thing.
1: Oh yeah, it was great. Actually, um, I'm going to be watching some of those uh, back now because I'm going to be hosting at the uh, lore convention. I'm the official podcast, but I'm hosting oh. the uh, Fire and Ball red carpets before the ball
2: (laughs) nice Nice. good for you
1: yeah and i'm going any advice
2: (laughs) (laughs) totally have fun and be yourself you know yeah you can check out the other ones but that's the whole thing it's like it when you try too hard um i think that's where it it loses something and it's also weird because like for me there's this constant evolution of you're you're always wanting to to be relevant and i think the only way for that to happen is you have to change with the times you know it's sort of like in the vo world back in the day when i first started even when i was a kid there was a lot more of like the quote unquote announcer vōs and now you go to like the last i'd say it's even more than 10 years now where The the note was always, this director likes it real. We don't want, you know, announcer types, just really, really conversational and casual and real, blah, blah, blah. That would apply to on camera too, like for TV commercials and everything. So that became like the regular note. And what's funny is in this day and age, if you look at, you know, the rise of YouTube stars and, you know, TikTok stuff, less so I'd say, but especially YouTube stars, there's something about just that. Real, authentic, be yourself, don't try too hard, let the humor come from, you know, just natural funny timing and charm and, you know, sometimes like a little deadpan look can be the funniest moment of the whole thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's not always about the, the material you're writing and all the canned jokes and everything else, it's just, are you you know, are you there? Are you present? Are you a likable personality that people are going to connect to and have fun with? It's really challenging because it's a, uh, it's not a scripted thing and actors are really comfortable with scripts. So you get into that environment and it's like, I don't want to blow this, but uh, you know, it's tricky. And plus, plus it's for all your peers. Yeah. So
1: it's like, <laughs> no pressure.
2: No, no pressure at all. Exactly. Like don't screw this up. Yeah. You know?
1: Whatever. I know but it's it's going to be a fun thing and I know now at least I have like what would PJ say what would PJ say? Uh, Yeah you'll yeah. be amazing you'll no, be amazing. thank you yeah um yeah this is going on in September so I have a couple of months to mentally
2: wrap my head around that um in person too right I'm sorry how Cool that it'll be in person, like an in person event to look forward to.
1: I know, yeah. This is the first one this year. Um, probably the only one that I'm doing this year. Um, there's a couple of ones in here and there that I'm doing some panels for, but it's this was a whole like over the weekend kind of a thing. It's a, and it's only, I'm um, not sure if you've heard of it, but the allure is specifically just for audiobooks, right? And and so you'll have the authors along with their narrators there, and it's just like wow, because you guys have gotten so popular that now. You you're being asked to come to the signings, yeah. And it's almost like a small group of uh, people, you know, like a table or two. But this
2: thing is the entire event. Amazing, yeah. So, no I've I heard the come up, uh, not something I've been associated with yet. But uh, where is it going to be? In Chicago. Chicago, cool. Yeah.
1: So I'm like, I get to go back to the bean.
2: <laughs> yeah, <you> exactly, <laughs> the shiny bean.
1: Yeah, shiny. Yay. Uh, I'm easily entertained. <laughs>
2: That's, a, yeah. that's i understand that one though that's a that's a very entertaining sculpture
1: yeah no it's just fascinating but anyway i will definitely send you the information in case you have the uh availability for you to check it out because it's gonna be oh, fun cool.
2: yeah very nice good for you i'm glad uh, i'm Thanks. glad Kerber your involvement that's cool
1: yeah it's gonna be fun like i said what would pj say remember <laughs> PJ's words. be yourself okay good <laughs> when you're not working what do you do for fun
2: Dogs. Uh, Camilla and I have three rescue dogs and they take up uh, all of our free time. We do hikes every day. We start uh, usually uh, with a, a good morning hike, like very, very first thing before, uh, even before morning coffee, we do our afternoon hike. So we try to stay really active with them, play with them. We've got our, our the newest, our puppy Zeppie. She's hilarious. She's not even a year old yet. And she is indefatigable. I mean, this dog will, go after the tennis ball or whatever you're playing fetch with seven, between seven and 8,000 times in a row uh, and still not be tired. So, uh, so wearing her out is definitely, uh, is definitely a full-time job. But uh, so we do that. Um, We've got um, a cool place. We're up in the Hills in LA and uh, uh, you know, just hanging out at home. I got to say it's, it's almost embarrassing how I feel like we kind of, I've said in the past, like almost won the COVID lottery, if you will, or the lockdown lottery insofar as because I already worked at home. Camilla's an author. She writes from home. I have the home studio. I produce from home and I coach from home. Um, there were so few changes that when things started to happen in 2020, um, there were so few changes that we needed to put in place that we just felt so lucky that we're already set up for this and we like being home. We have the dogs. It's a nice place. And, you know, we have space, we have some room. Um, And, and I mean, compared to tougher situations where people like almost every other situation was tougher. That's why I say, I feel like, you know, just, we we just lucked out so ridiculously because if you have a a tiny place that you're uncomfortable in, or you're in a, a much, much denser urban area where, you know, the lockdowns were were far more, you know, affected you far more because you don't even really have outdoor space uh, that you can use. Um, if you lost your job, you know, and uh, uh, suddenly, you know, loss of, of income or all of those things. And then what happens when, even if you're able to bridge the gap, what happens when you come out of things? Are you able to get your job back? Everything else. So just so, so lucky. Um, and I know that wasn't really your question, but in terms of what we do, you know, for fun in the downtime, it's kind of like what we always do. You know, it's just enjoy the place, enjoy the neighborhood, enjoy the mountains over here in this part of the city, Uh, play with the dogs, you know, use the backyard and, uh, and there you go. You know, it's just, uh, we enjoy the time here. It's really, it's really cool. It's super chill. And, um, and I'm able to pop in and out of work as often as I need to, which is a lot. I'm kind of, I'm a little ridiculous because all three hats I wear are very, very full time. Um, and I don't really have a whole lot of downtime. And I've often joked in, I guess, as self-deprecatingly a way as I'm capable of that I really suck at time off. So uh, having a nice place when the time off happens, at least, you know, I, I stay close to everything and uh, I've got a good family. Yeah, that's good.
1: No, I, I think it's uh, many people that have their own businesses and are entrepreneurs wear those many different hats. And you always kind of feel like you have to keep going in order to keep the momentum moving <laughs> forward. Um, and then you're going, wait, downtime, vacation? What is that?
2: <laughs> what is, like, wait, we're going to go somewhere for the purpose of not doing anything? I don't understand.
1: Yeah. yeah, I've, I've had to um, sometimes leave the laptop at home. Oh, God. I know. It's like, but, but, but what if something happens? And then like, they'll survive. And I'm like, no, no, no. But what if? And, and they're like, listen, vacation. I'm like, damn it. Uh yeah. So yeah, yeah. I've never been very good at that. No, me neither. So I, I feel you. Um, June is not only audiobook month, but it's also the kickoff of summer. And being that you live in California, it's almost like you're in summer all year long, but <laughs> similar to here in Florida. Um, is there what is your favorite thing to do for the summers?
2: Um, the the big difference for me when summer rolls around is uh, the swimming. Um, I, I've added now swimming not not that long ago to my sort of daily exercise regimen. And the way our uh, we have a solar heater for the uh, for the pool. And what's cool about it, even though you're in Southern California, it uh, it makes the pool you know warm and swimmable from April to October. That's about the range. So, um, so here we are. Um, and, uh, and that means I get to, uh, I get to swim every day. So that's the biggest difference, but we are a pretty, you know, it, you, you can't complain about the weather in Southern California. I mean, it's, it is truly ridiculously perfect. So where we are at, at our altitude in the Hills, we get a, a bit of a difference. We have a little bit more of a seasonal thing. Like we'll actually see frost in the winter. Um, uh, so we get frost up here. Um, obviously not snow. Although I will tell you this quick little anecdote when we moved in, when we bought this house, it was the week that, I don't know if you heard about this when it, uh, snow fell in Malibu I and did. yeah. And that was like at the house too, cause we're not that far from Malibu. And in terms of like altitude, it's, it's kind of the same in terms of where the, uh, the snow was in the Santa Monica mountains. So we move in there's ice on the driveway like covered in slick ice like the kind of thing you would find in you know major (laughs) yeah new york exactly there's ice on the driveway dangerous uh in a sense and then the backyard is like covered in this dusting of snow we wake up to this uh like the third night we're in the house we're like where the hell did we move you know we're still in the city of Los Angeles but coming over from West Hollywood it was the craziest change um, but uh, but we realized this was a crazy anomaly and you know pretty much never happened again but we still do like we'll drop into the 30s at night uh, during winter and then you'll get to like on the hottest days of summer you'll get to about oh 110 115 up here on you know a few days so there's a bit of a a real range, you know, we get more seasons than you typically expect in L.A. But uh, um, but it's awesome. You know, so you get to use the outside if you want to all year long.
1: That's good. Yeah. You guys, um, I always say that almost like California and Florida are always like trying to one up each other. Yeah. <laughs> you have earthquakes. We have
2: hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, the one thing and I, I think you're you're in an awesome state. The one thing is the humidity. Oh. And that's the one thing about the East Coast I don't miss because I grew up in New York August in New York. Wow. That is something I do not miss. Oh no. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't go outside after 11, 11 o'clock on during the summers and I being born and raised here in Florida, I did not know anything else. Right. And then I went to Colorado during the (laughs) summer months and I was able to walk a mile and I didn't have an entire, you know, drenched shirt yeah I, exactly. I was like whoa this you is what they're, they're talking minutes. about yeah, shit yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah when i'm in the air i'm going damn it you gotta take yeah. a shower 15 times a day exactly you go outside to get the mail <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm not kidding crazy. folks it's bad yeah
2: you yeah. know yeah, mm-hmm. that, that sticky 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 uh heat it's crazy yeah we don't really get that down here so that's the biggest difference for me that, um, you know, makes me take this weather over pretty much anything else in the country. I miss, uh, I miss the snow, you know, I miss the real quote unquote seasons. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like I say, you can't, you just can't beat Southern California weather. It's called vacation. And, <laughs> um, and <laughs> one day, one day, Viviana, I will, I will learn what that is and is.
1: I'll send you the definition. Um, okay. <laughs> It was sent to me, so I get it. <laughs> last question. What is your favorite word?
2: My favorite word? hmm Like, you're talking to someone who does, like, you know, I know. I, at, at last count, I think I narrated, um, it was estimated over 50 million words I've now narrated. That's why. Um, <laughs> and, and you want me to pick one as a favorite? Ah, oh, boy! You
1: say your your wife's name and just totally like.
2: Yeah, that's not a bad one. <laughs> Camilla is a pretty extraordinary word. I have to it say, is. yes, you know, yes. It's not not bad. Um, I. Uh, I got you. <laughs> it would also, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's she's got to be at the very least tied for first place. Absolutely. Um, at the moment, my favorite word is the puppy's full name, which Ooh. is Zeppola. <gasps> Zeppola, if uh, anyone doesn't know, if you've ever gone to like uh, an Italian feast, uh, Italian carnival, like those types of things that we grew up in New York, and you'd go to that vendor that has Zeppolis, those are the Italian donuts, the deep fried Italian donuts. They're kind of like beignets, but better. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, there you go. So uh, the singular, because it's uh, it's a feminine noun in Italian, is uh, Zeppola.
0: And that's I her
2: name. That. We call her, her Zeppi.
1: Oh, that's so cute. It's...
2: There yeah. you go. Perfect. What's your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word? Somebody just asked me this. <laughs> it's so funny. This is like the inside the actor studio question. All right. Um, so uh, kids, cover your ears. It's going to get really nasty here in a second. Okay. So uh, everybody, if you're easily offended, stop listening now. Um, all right. This is really awful. But I grew up in an environment where, you know, that that terrible C word that really just really horrifies everyone of decent sensibility in the United States. Yes. Um, I always appreciated how Brits were able to throw around the word cunt without, you know, Any So it's just reckless abandon. And it didn't have the weight in the UK that it had in America. So um, not long ago, my sister, I guess it's a few years, my sister and my female cousin, I'm close with both of them, were out visiting us in California. So uh, my wife, my sister, my cousin, and then me, the one guy at the table, were out to dinner and I start to wax poetic about the British usage of cunt, which I knew would horrify my sister because growing up, it was like bloody murder. I mean, if you, if you were to use this word or she would come in contact with it, you were like Satan personified. So by the end of the conversation, they were all pissing themselves. They were laughing so hard. My sister was using it, adopted it. And I felt so proud of myself. <laughs> bring. Bring cunt into proper usage in America among people who otherwise would never have even been in the same room with the word and not lost their minds. So there you go. So for that reason, that's my favorite. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think it's sometimes the the words have lost a little bit of meaning, like bitch used to be like really, really bad. It still is. But even among friends we're like, bitch, you know, yeah. like even something yeah. good. So when they're really, I'm like, oh, such a fucking cunt. <laughs>
2: stupid cunt yeah exactly yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah perfect that's awesome so before we go can you tell us what you're currently working on or that you can share and knowing that this is gonna go out in
2: June (laughs) 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 um okay so um what can I share okay wait here's a good one Mm -hmm. wait I'm going to share one that isn't audiobook related. I'll tell you about some audiobook stuff, but I'm going to share one that isn't audiobook related, okay? And it's perfect for the timing and perfect for June is audiobook month, even though this isn't an audiobook thing. Um, All right. Uh, The feature film that I talked about uh, that I did uh, earlier on in the pandemic uh, uh, got its distribution, and it's coming out on all video on-demand services on May 31st. So the release date, just in time for June. Um, The film is called Deep in the Forest. Um, And uh, I've got a cool supporting role in there. It's about a bunch of uh, basically uh, politically active types. I don't want to give away any spoilers uh, who end up in kind of a there's like a civil war situation brewing and they end up sort of together uh, trapped in hiding at this, you know, cabin, this uh, distant cabin and uh, and things get crazy. So uh, it's a really, really cool, uh, cool film uh, coming out uh, May 31st. If you're listening to this in June, it should already be out on video on demand deep in the forest. Um, so, so that's a cool thing to talk about. If you want to check out a visual thing uh, in terms of um, let's see, audiobook stuff. We're continuing Camilla's series uh, of cats and dragons. The most recent installment is called wildwood fate. Uh, that's done really, really well. It's kind of amazing. If you like that kind of thing, uh, fantasy just in general, lots of amazing characters and huge spectrum of characters. Those are huge favorites. I continue to do the uh, the Chase Fulton series for Cap Daniels, if you like thrillers. um, So the uh, the latest installments are out uh, of that. Uh, we're doing like a new one every couple of months. Um, So the uh, the most recent Hollow Chase just uh, just came out. Um, let's see what else, if you, if you like romance, I know uh, some of the listeners are fans of romance. I mentioned those two, uh, um, I did with Justine Eyre. Those are in the uh, the Deep in Your Veins series by author Suzanne Wright. So the two new installments were uh, Touch of Rapture and then Captivated, which was the one of the, uh, the different um, uh, POVs, the, the, the anthology one, uh, which is really cool. And then for sci-fi, we're continuing the um, Michael Anderley, who's a really, really cool uh, author, um, very popular out there, has this uh, new sci-fi series called uh, "The Rise of Terry Victor." Uh, it's about an alien who gets stranded on Earth in book one. Uh, book one was called "Earthbound," and uh, and then just kind of like assimilates into society, gets a couple of close friends, gets a job as a car mechanic, and then when uh, things start to go bad, his past life. Uh, when things start to go bad on Earth, his past life starts to factor in in a big way and the things he used to do for a living. So he kind of has to come to the rescue a little bit. And uh, it's a really fun book. It's a buddy book. Uh, There's uh, the girl who is i don't want to give anything away but uh she's really super cool and um and then his other friend charlie and the three of them become this like you know alien crime fighting trio if you will um so uh the two latest installments of that series uh, are coming out too so um so there's a bunch of different things you can check out
1: that's awesome sounds all it sounds like really fascinating and fun
2: yeah they're, they're yeah. great yeah, yeah and, and, and series that i just love being involved in you know so it's i always look forward to the next installment they're a blast
1: yeah it's one of the things too that when it comes down to when we follow the series we're going oh my god when's the next one coming out exactly and like it just came out today viviana and I, go, I know <laughs> <laughs> i need another i need another one yeah you know it's like just yeah anyways but thank you pj for being part of this year's audio loving
2: series thank you
1: so much for hanging out with me
2: I'm happy to do it. You're a delight to be with. And I'm uh, I'm glad we could make the time. I appreciate the invitation.
1: Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you for hanging out with us today. And we hope you've enjoyed this interview as well as the series. Make sure to follow him on social media. I will provide you with all the links so you guys don't have to go hunting. You will find his links on the Audiobook Lovin' 2022 series page over at Viviana Enchanters of Books. And until next time, happy listening.
0: Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Lovin' series hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode, as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana, Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time. Happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program.